This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hey, everybody. This is Z Prime On the Grid. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is co-host Aaron Hardick. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dylan. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good because I'm not in the heat wave death trap that y'all are down in Texas. So I count that blessing every single day. That is a very accurate description of what's going on here. Not unusual for this time of year. I was, uh, I've mentioned quite a few times now that I've recently gotten into mountain biking and I took my bike out to a mountain biking park in Burnett, Texas, which is about an hour northwest of downtown Austin. And while I was riding my bike this weekend, I did check the heat index and it was 114 degrees. It was, it was really hot. So you're not, you're not missing anything. Oh my goodness. Uh, I've got a, I've got a hot take about the heat index in that it's probably just what you should say that the temperature is if it feels like it's 113 then it's pretty much 113 i don't need to i don't need to know what the weather should be like under ideal circumstances (laughs) Um, (laughs) but anyway uh let's let's get into our main discussion uh today on the show we're talking about uh, mastercard's city possible network and their partnership with another network the north texas innovation alliance uh and that partnership is designed to connect innovators across Texas and the nation. So to discuss it, so to discuss the details more, we have Executive Director for North Texas Innovation Alliance, Jennifer Sanders. Jennifer, how are you doing? I'm doing really well today. Obviously, you mentioned I'm in Texas, so I'm I'm have not mountain biking, but I'm having the same lamentations <laughs> as Aaron. So I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. We're happy to have you. Uh, we also have on the show Miguel Gamino, Executive Vice President of Enterprise Partnerships and Head of Global Cities and City Possible at MasterCard. Miguel, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, so Miguel, uh, we're going to start with you. City Possible has been described as a network of networks, so to speak. Can you tell us about that? Uh, can you tell us about what MasterCard is building here? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, MasterCard has a long-standing commitment to what we describe as inclusive growth, um, basically helping make sure that as cities grow and urbanization happens, that it happens in an inclusive manner um, and that prosperity kind of reaches everyone everywhere. And part of that is to help bring cities together to to be part of the conversation for how solutions can and should be built and you know, recognizing from my previous life uh, working in in city government um, that you know there are networks that are already out there, there are conversations that are already happening, uh, but oftentimes some of those conversations that that could benefit from being connected to one another aren't always connected to one another as well as it can be. So you know, we launched City Possible to help bring cities together. Sometimes cities that aren't um, interconnected with one another at all. But other times, just uh, through uh, our partnership with other uh, convening groups, um, in this case, like like the North Texas uh, Innovation Alliance. So, so we're really not trying to replace 
any of those active networks and conversations, but rather bring them together to have uh, kind of one plus one equal three. Jennifer, so it, it sounds like based off what I know about North Texas Innovation Alliance, because we've had you on the show before and you've talked about, about your work with Dallas Innovation Alliance and how it ties into the, the larger North Texas area. It sounds like based off Miguel's description of what the City Possible Network is that you guys clearly have an alignment on your strategy or the long-term goals or the impact that you're trying to make into communities. So can you just talk about what brought North Texas Innovation Alliance into the fold of the City Possible Network and how joining this network helps achieve NTIA's long-term goals? Well, I, I think what MasterCard and City Possible has built is is just that best minds approach that's so critical. And I, I love the leadership that's, that's been built there and have obviously followed since the beginning. And I think, you know, to Miguel's point and your point, you know, that again, that best minds approach is, is the only way we're all going to get where we're trying to go. And I think following following that North Star of, of building inclusive communities and those that are resilient to, to handling the challenges that, again, that we're all facing. And obviously we have a a, a really prevalent example right now with COVID and, um, and the related impacts of it. Um, the North Texas Innovation Alliance just really seeks to have that peer-to-peer -peer sharing and, and learn from those that have walked before and, and help to lift up those that are coming into the fold right now. So I think in terms of our long-term goals, you know, looking to those kind of similarly um, situated cities and regions, whether by size, demographic, geography, as well as learning from those, we learn a ton from the smaller cities. And I know that those are coming coming into city possible at an increasing rate. So we we really, we really need to establish those priorities. You know, we that in North Texas can't boil the ocean here, but really looking towards what do we most need to focus on and then being really quickly connected to those that have focused on that as well. So nobody is replicating efforts. But those are, those are some of the pieces we're, we're so thrilled to be able to take advantage of through the network. Uh, Miguel, what's been uh, a really good success story of City Possible so far? Uh, well, there's, there's a number of them. I think probably the most um, relevant in the, in the moment is a bunch of work we've done with the City of Los Angeles and their Angelino card uh, program and campaign. Um, I think, you know, having invested heavily in building this network and these relationships and um, uh, which is, you know, uh, over 165 cities now uh, globally with many, many convenings was the bedrock of kind of trust and relationship that was really important to the success. Because when, when, when COVID-19 happened and, and hit the world, um, and as it came across the U.S., um, the city of Los Angeles was one of those that was trying to figure out how to help people through that situation. And they picked up the phone and called us or texted us, actually, to, on a Sunday. And eight days later, we launched a program. And the speed of that uh, was only possible because we had, uh, you know, a, a good foundation um, between the two organizations and um, Accelerator for America, which is a, a, a partner in 
in collaboration with those those various elements and entities in many other cities. And so I think, you know, that uh, is important to invest early so that when you need um, support and relationships, you've got them predisposed. And what happened as a result of that was we launched a, a card program and a donations um, program by putting technologies that we had together in a fairly unique way with Accelerator for America and, and Mayor's Fund of LA. And the result of that was we created a text to donation um, uh, technology that they used to raise money. Um, and then also gave them kind of the push button um, capability to distribute that money to the people that needed it most that they had the capacity to identify and, and support. And so, so far, I think it has distributed uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $36 million in assistance, over 37,000 cards or so that basically impact um, 104, 105,000 in north of 100,000 people um, residing in Los Angeles in just this short period of time. So part of it is kind of the impact that the program can have, but also the speed at which we can deliver something like that because of the relationship and partnerships constructs that we have. And so the to have a partnership with the North Texas Alliance isn't just about uh, reaching those cities, but it's bringing the parties together so that um, now or in the future um, on, a, on a need that we can identify today or one that we can't even imagine until it happens in the future, um, the, this bedrock of relationships, I, I'm confident will will deliver real value to the people living in the cities that are represented. Miguel, I have a quick follow-up question on the LA project. I think it seems like one of the benefits of creating these networks is to talk about solutions that help in one area, specifically one area of the country, and maybe taking them to another area and implementing them there. Do you expect what you're doing with LA to translate well in other cities? Or do you think that solution was particular to the city of Los Angeles? So uh, that's a absolute, I couldn't have asked for that question any better. Um, We actually just announced uh, with Accelerator for America, that that program in LA is now been being expanded to ten other communities, including a couple of states uh, in the U.S. So we we all along saw the that that's kind of the power of the seat that we are in is to see the commonalities and the opportunities to to collaborate across kind of jurisdictional lines, not only within the U.S. but even globally. Um, and then bring bring kind of momentum behind scaling those solutions out of, let's say, L.A. into other cities um, and states in the U.S. and vice versa. So 1,000 percent, this, this these things um, are more common than not. In fact, back to my days in city government, I used to say that um, I think that cities believed to be on their own on many of these journeys. Uh, when in fact they were all, they were in large all trying to solve very similar if not the same things, um, but just believed to be 
um, um, more um, kind of on their own than they, they actually were. So the opportunity is absolutely to scale these things across uh, many cities uh, that we're finding common concerns and, and opportunities to address these challenges. And Jennifer, okay. in that, that same vein of you know, scaling these solutions outside of cities, what are, what are you seeing as some of the biggest impacts or benefits of pushing urban innovation from the city level to this regional level or more maybe even to a national or global level like Miguel had mentioned? What do you see as some of the benefits of kind of pushing it out of just the city level? Well, I, I think, you know, when when we formed, you know, the Dallas Innovation Alliance in 2015, you know, as we went kind of along that road, the, the vision was always expanding that, um, those partnerships at a regional level, and then looking at the state of Texas and really beyond. And, you know, in North Texas specifically, the boundaries between cities and counties are more permeable than they are in some parts of the country. 30% of residents of, of North Texas cross at least one county line every single day. And the joke is I don't care if I cross from you know Dallas to Collin County, I want the traffic lights to work. I wanna make sure emergency ser you know, services are gonna make it to me really smoothly. And a lot of that deals with how are we looking at solving problems collectively? How are we looking at developing technologies as a catalyst to really facilitate the ease of service delivery? And so, you know, one is the permeable boundaries and how um, kind of migratory patterns of, of residents, both within region and outside of it, are really becoming more and more ambiguous. And so that's one reason to go to a regional solution. The other is one of the pieces that Miguel mentioned is, you know, not reinventing the wheel, but really understanding that, you know, whether it's, you know, the challenges are the same and we can really replicate solutions. But also that you know the technologies and the data that is that is used and developed is really a catalyst for solving multiple types of programs. And one of the ways that we're already seeing you know the benefit of, of the Mastercard partnership is related to the use of data and also learning from other cities. So from the retail insights platform that we're we're piloting right now, learning how New York and New Orleans and cities around the country have utilize that data, particularly, you know, in, in the time of COVID has been so beneficial in our cities, really looking at what are the most important things for them to focus on right now? Is it, is it the spread? Is it trying to identify what there's based on retail spending? You know, are, 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 how do they match those up through data that they capture and the data that's being provided by MasterCard? and really look at how can they leverage that to make the wisest investments to help their local economies to recover as quickly as possible. And so we've, we've so learned from the data itself, but really in how are other cities that may be bigger, may be smaller, may have, have different challenges, but how can we apply those? And that's, that's really been such a gift, even in the first two months of our, of our work together. So uh, Jennifer and Miguel, I also, want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, do the goals of streamlining and organizing uh, that that uh, that this network is that these networks are supposed to do, does that ever clash with sort of the collaborative goals when you bring these different regions with their own specific regional issues together? Yeah, so so Dylan, I think to address the question kind of within a region, 
you know, sometimes the priorities are are a bit different, you know, what what a what a city and a county and an entity like um, an airport or a transit system, the priorities may look a bit, you know, may look a bit different in real time. But I but I think the North Star is always the same, and that's kind of the key is what is the through line of what we're trying to achieve, and then really looking at as as I mentioned, you know, earlier, you know, making sure that we're not trying to boil the ocean at the inset, but saying what are the commonalities. So one, how do we support the region and these these larger initiatives that are that are meatier, and and, and does that look something like um, how do we find new revenue channels for the public sector? As we know that that's going to be um, a tremendous impact in the next couple of years following the, the sales tax declines and um, and various other impacts of COVID, but also things like procurement. And so we look at these large issues that are num- you know top three of any city I've talked to. And then you look at more specific challenges that you can really dig into as a region or support the the cities and our members individually and and kind of match make them with each other, um, both within the region, but really looking nationally or internationally into who who's really addressed that. So I think it's about balancing the support underneath that North Star with with the understanding that, you know, developing a mentorship kind of partnership between cities themselves. So so I I don't know if I, I don't think I would call it a clash. I would call it, you know, how do you how do you shift priorities based on the needs of, of different members? I also think um, just kind of even thinking globally, c- cities, I think, kind of have naturally organized around different priority sets. Um, I mean, they're all they're all ultimate. The way I describe it is every mayor I know anyway is all trying to create a more prosperous community. How they go about it is a, is informed by the challenges faced by that particular community. In some places, that's job creation. In other places, that's education or what have you, right? And but but those tend to then just create groupings. They don't create isol, isolated scenarios, right? So I could I probably I never say never kind of thing, but I could probably say I've never encountered a city that just has a set of things that don't overlap or or connect with some level of priorities in another city. So I, I I don't think that it's a clash. The other part is there's so much to be done that um even if you did find two or three things that were kind of not connected, there's probably fifty other things that are. And so there's there's plenty of overlap in terms of things that do need to be accomplished that offer all kinds of opportunity to to work together. So what I'm gathering from, go ahead, Jennifer. One of my one of my favorite examples that that I read you know, years ago was in Bogota. The mayor the mayor there said, you know, we're looking at what what can we be, and he said, I know we're never going to be the most you know economic powerhouse in the world, he said, but we can be the happiest city in the world. And part of his reaching his goals there was eliminating vehicles from downtown and everyone thought he was nuts and there was pushback initially, but, but ultimately it became a, a completely transformed city that was embraced. So it was, it was something that improved quality of life dramatically, which, which ultimately for all of us is, is the point, right. Of all the work that is done. Um, but it but to Miguel's point, it can be done through different vehicles and with different kind of overarching priorities, but, but the solutions can be, can be similar in terms of how we how we address those um, 
from a solution standpoint. What I'm gathering from both of you is that cities are unique, but there are commonalities between all of them. So it seems like the way to move forward with certain projects is to rally stakeholders within the city around high priority projects, projects that everybody in the city has determined this is what we need to focus on. Now, those priorities may be different from city to city, but um, generally cities kind of have these areas that they want to improve. So is there... Do you guys find in, in these networks that you're creating to help push these innovation projects, is there kind of a framework to help cities determine what those priorities should be? Or how do you help a city who's saying, you know, we, we want to you want to make this we want to make this city better? Jennifer, your example with Bogota, the um, reducing the vehicles, they clearly at one point decided this was our priority. How do you help a city? determine what their priorities are? Is there a framework or is there some other way that you kind of go about rallying stakeholders around a few specific points so that they actually have um, a focus on an area? How do you, how do you go about that? Um, Miguel, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts first. Yeah, I think, um, so we, we host, uh, convenings and that's simply to bring the conversation um to to the forefront right and bringing various players to that to that discussion and that organically surfaces common challenges and it, it, this sounds very maybe uh abstract but you just get people in a room and you let them talk about what's important to them and naturally you you surface the top three things that everybody wants to talk about. And an example of that is in just about every city of any kind of urban density, there's a discussion pre-COVID about mobility and during and post-COVID, what's the new kind of transformational mobility. So I, didn't, I don't have to go to a meeting and put that on the agenda, it happens, right? But having it happen organically validates to everyone else that, wow, in fact, I'm not the only one thinking about working on that as a, as a top priority for my community or what have you. And so, so we, we create these convenings. They're global in nature. I think also um, re regional aspects are important, but there's also a lot to learn from other parts of the world. And that's where I think we really, I can partner very well with someone like the, the North Texas Alliance because we, they, they will all, for lots of good reasons, pay attention to the region, and we can make sure that there's an access point, if you will, to a to a global discussions, if and when there is something to be benefited or learned from from that perspective, right? So, to your question about framework, it's bringing the conversation together, also involving in that conversation in a in a kind of supportive way. The the industry partners and other academics and other NGO partners that may participate in the solving of that challenge to just sit in the room and be what I call passive listen or active listeners, I'm sorry. And that is just so that when it does pivot to action, that people or entities who have a role to play in 
the solutioning have the benefit of the context, right? But not so much that they should just drive the conversation and then come back to the problem owners of, of governments and say, here, here's the solution um, in a silo. So that's the, the real kind of magic that happens is just getting all these folks into a room, um, having the conversation, and then participating together in discovering how we might go about solving those issues together in a way that's both impactful to the community from a, from a societal perspective and also viable from a commercial perspective so that it can be sustained and continually invested in over time. So I think 100% getting, getting people in the same room is, is key and across, you know, across industry, across, you know, jurisdiction. And I think that that model, you know, is, is best applied at, at any level of, of government or any level of coalition. If you're looking at you know, the city level, you got to bring departments together because often within a city, there's, there's silos, as you, as you know. And if you look at, but if you look at the overarching, if you look at the overarching goals and then you say, okay, public safety, here is your, here's your number one priority, transportation, public work. Um, sometimes they don't, they don't always immediately understand how all of those goals really do fit together like puzzle pieces and how an approach or a mission or a perspective can can bubble up together in a way where you don't have to just look at your individual KPIs, but often there's solutions that cross cut, you know, and that that allows for shared budgets, that allows for efficiencies and and really standards to be set and, and expanding that to a regional and then a state, national, international level. Um, it, it's it's really the same perspective. How do you look at these things holistically? And and to this point when we've gotten folks in the room from the regional perspective, starting with those really broad um, and, and holistic questions, you know, the, one of the ones that I got the best responses to is something as simple as what keeps you up at night today? What do you think is gonna keep you up at night over the next five years? You know, if, if, you, if you had the crystal ball and, and things of that nature and allow there to not be a direct focus on the technology, which often is, a, is, a, is made the be all end all, but really is a vehicle or a catalyst in solving some of these challenges or improving quality of life. So I think, you know, in, in that way, you know, you start to say, okay, what are those commonalities and also the importance of bringing industry in? You know, if you bring in um, a MasterCard, an AT&T, a Toyota, and, and on and on, they have solved internationally those problems already. So not just cities globally have really, um, have really taken solutions and we can extrapolate from them, but really trusting the expertise from all sectors. And, and then finally, just to mention, you know, what, what this boils down to is, is at the, is at the resident and citizen level. And so I think incorporating them early and really making sure that what, what would change their lives at an individual level is something that's incorporated and really making sure to, to a large extent that they match. Because what, what we found, you know, at the DIA, and, and I imagine we'll see the same thing with North Texas, is sometimes the perception of what what citizens need and what, what they believe they need, what impacts them most on a day-to-day -day basis are not always, not always aligned all the time. And so really making sure that, that that's consistent um, or that you know, we're really making sure that we're, we're hearing what those are um, from bottom up as well as top down is, is something that's, that's, been obvious, that's been so important for us. What do you think are the best avenues for, uh, for achieving that dialogue? 
especially now in a in a no public gatherings world. So obvious, everyone's got Zoom fatigue at this point, but but that's you know that's the best the best world we we can hope for right now. And from the standpoint of if you can't be in a room with someone, which is which is the best case, you know, seeing each other's faces gets as close to that as possible, and and the engagement is stronger. I, I think, you know, I think making sure there's a combination of, of the full group and then, and then breaking up into smaller groups, which, which sounds really intuitive, but, but sometimes that can get um, a little bit lost in the shuffle as, as you're trying to move quickly. But, you know, a lot of the feedback we've gotten is it, it can be so hard to, to speak up, you know, in, in the full room. And so really now we're looking to really how do we best incorporate these, these smaller groups in, in terms of is it by um, the, the priorities that have been expressed to date? Is it by geography? Is it, is it random? Um, how, how do we best get kind of the real deep dive and, and drill down to be able to, to move forward um, with, with all the information which you sometimes can't get um, with, a, with a group of 35, which we typically have on our, on our monthly convenings? Yeah, and I think what, what I would add to that is we we used to do uh, these face-to-face -face, uh, events. We, in fact, we did something like 30 or so over the course of last year and had something like 200 or some odd um, um, kind of activations of some level in, in a year. All of that had to shift. And, you know, the Zoom uh, or online digital convening thing is, is an important part of it uh, for sure. Um, because it still brings the bigger groups together. But um, as mentioned, I think allowing for or just being intentional about creating these smaller kind of breakoff groups, even if they're just text, you know, conversations or groups, um, all those things are incredibly effective. It's just a matter of keeping them organized and, and uh, kind of moving collectively together in the same direction and not letting them get overly siloed is the is the trick that we're trying to figure out in this kind of COVID reality, right? Very true. And, and things to your point, like, you know, whether it's, you know, an internal you know, chat function or Slack or Teams or, or whatever, whatever comes up there um, is, is so important for those real-time questions and, and really throwing out ideas there and, and making sure that there's, you know, um, Committee committee heads is, is not the right word, but making sure that there's there's someone in the group that can help really accelerate or really keep those conversations going as, as everyone um, is is obviously consumed by by focusing on on the needs internally as we go from there and um, and and I think you know just to just to shift back really quickly one of the one of the things that is so pressing right now and, and Miguel I, I think you mentioned this is looking at you know, what are the real-time priorities, but also thinking as we emerge out of this, which of the challenges that were made really glaring in, in responding to, to the crisis need to carry forward as a priority in the longer term? And how can we make sure that those, um, that, that momentum continues? And, and um, a, a really prevalent example, certainly in, in our area, and I think nationally, is, is about the access to internet. Um, as students, particularly in underserved areas, have had to go fully online and, and don't have that level of access um, and, and internet access you know, across across every facet of our lives now, obviously. But how do we develop short-term solutions as well as mid and long-term to make sure that foundationally um, that is that is a top priority 
um, which is which is a, a very large one where we all have to learn from each other, I think. But so again, I think what were the priorities, you know, for example, that I was hearing at the very beginning of NPXIA, which is still really young as an organization, what's come up most prevalently and how are you solving for X right now, today, real time, and then saying, what do I imagine that's new today that can't be new coming out of this? I think it's, it's such an important function of, of networks like City Possible and at a smaller scale NTXIA. Since, you know, we're getting towards the end of the show, I want to make sure that we do kind of wrap this up into a neat little bow, if you will. I mean, 2020 has been plagued by social economic health crisis that have really made cities and states have to rethink their not only their public infrastructure, but generally how they engage with the public. And your networks provide benefits to those cities by helping them solve, you know, some of the the technology challenges associated with those new ways of engagement. You both mentioned that you have this network that allows cities to collaborate with other stakeholders to address, to identify priority needs and address them. You give them support because you have such extensive networks of folks who may have addressed these issues in their own cities and you kind of facilitate that exchange of information. So there's, you know, a variety of, of benefits that come along with being part of something like the City Possible Network and the North Texas Innovation Alliance. Am I am I missing anything, Miguel? Or what else do you see as some of the, the main benefits? Or if, if you had a city that you know, you're, you're looking to get involved in the City Possible Network, what do you tell them to get them involved? Yeah, I think, uh, listen, it's, it's number one, when I was in the city business, there was never a line item in my budget for collaborating with other cities, right? There was, it was always something that we had to do as an extra. And so at, at its very basic level, just us creating the facilities, the infrastructure for cities to connect with one another. If I was still in the city business, that, or, I mean, working in, in city government, that by itself is super valuable, probably more so than I could calculate. And, and doesn't cost me anything. We don't charge um, cities to be part of city possible. We don't, you know, obli- it doesn't obligate a city to do anything. So just just by simply joining the network, you have access to the to the network to the to the other members directly with or without our involvement or you know being part of any conversation so that is most fundamental I think is really important now when you get to the next click of a solution that's been developed let's say in l a then it's easier for the same reason that we were able to mobilize so quickly in l a it's, it would be easier for us to mobilize that solution from LA to other cities if we're already engaged and we already have kind of that relationship basis. So a city being part of it, having kind of more ready access to the solutions that get developed in these other markets, I think is also of, of significant value. And then the flip side a little bit, frankly, is you know a city that has accomplished something very meaningful to have a platform to share that with other cities 
and to some extent take take credit for their own innovation. So not only helping another city make the same bit of progress, but have the, your city and your leadership be demonstrated at the national or global level, I think is, you know, um, might sound like a nice to have, and maybe it is in that kind of third category of, of value or benefit, but I think it's also significantly important. And for the residents of a particular city, listening to this or reading this and saying, well, why do I care? You know, I think anything that helps your city move forward um, and reach in a beneficial way more people across all the different kind of spectrum of your community has to be valuable. And if the, and if a city can do that um, with you know without putting out resources, money, or otherwise to to accomplish access to those those benefits and that progress in a time when resources are even more constrained and, and uh, kind of oversubscribed than they were even before, that seems to me to be a pretty obvious value proposition and, and choice forward. And so a partnership with North Texas Innovation Alliance also roots that in some local perspective that is really important for us to make sure we're hitting the mark that matters to the community at that local level. Amen and ditto <laughs> to, to to all of that. My goodness, and and I think you know if you're just speaking to the to the public perception and, and allowing cities to to brag on themselves too. I mean, I think one of the I agree, and in, in my background in you know communications and change management, I'm I'm one of the biggest proponents of that. And I think if you you know certainly for for our area, you know if you ask you know, people around the country or around the globe, you know, what are the first things you think of when you think of Dallas, you're going to hear Dallas Cowboys, J.R. Ewing, oil and gas, <laughs> Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, you know, that's, that's what you're going to hear. And there's, and there's so much, and it doesn't matter where I am. It's, it's fascinating. You, you would think that perhaps you know, China would not be aware of J.R. Ewing, but they absolutely <laughs> are, you know, and so that, that, that brand is, in, is, is incredible and we're grateful for it. But I, but I, but I also know that today, DFW and 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 you know surrounding cities are doing some really incredible work, and I think you know we could be doing a better job of of talking about that. And so when you think about the, the pieces of of each individual city or region that can be really impacted by the learnings here, you know one is you know one is you know perception and brand, which is really important when you're looking at how do you grow businesses here, how do you attract talent, how do you how do you look at, at that piece? And I think um, attracting talent and keep really and keeping talent is going to be one of the most critical pieces in this new or emerging you know, normal as we come out of here, um, as more and more workers may be staying remote and maybe don't need to move for a new job. So I think that's, that's really top of mind for a lot of cities as well. Um, I think I think the value, you know, in, in having all of these tools and resources within the network, and then, you know, from a from a budget standpoint, I've, I've never met a city that says I have too much money and too many people. I don't know what to do with it. Help me spend all the money I have. You know, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, I mean, that's just that's just the true story. And I think we're, we're looking at quantifying, you know, some of the benefits to be found here. Um, and in general, you know, one is obviously staff resources and the other is financial, which are kind of hand in hand. And if, if we can talk to a New York, you know, Miguel and say, okay, how did you structure, you know, the, the purchasing of, 
you know, a million LED lights with controls or, or, you know, anything on that nature. And we can learn what parameters, you know, worked and were really effective. If it takes six to nine months less time to write an RFP, you know, just as, a, as an example, and what we, we know it takes half a full-time employee equivalent to write research and write that RFP, if you can do that in that much less time, I mean, those are, those are real dollars that can be put to use you know, in, in other critical areas within a city. So, I, I mean, I think um, I think there are so many layers to, to benefits like net, like this network um, and um, just really grateful to be a part of it. I kind of, I, I've described it over the years as the superpower of collaboration. And I say, I describe it that way because it's something that's relatively uniquely held by public um, governments in that they are, that, you know, they, they don't have the concern of necessarily competing for one another. Maybe they compete when it comes to, you know, the Dallas Cowboys or the, or the Texans, but uh, in sport and things like that. But when it comes to innovation and kind of civic service progress, they all have the opportunity to benefit from work done by those around them and before them and can use that to accelerate progress for their own cities without any, you know, competitive constraints or those sorts of things that the you know private sector or other industry sectors might might uh, might be limited by. Jennifer, just to to wrap it up, you're based in Texas, I'm based in Texas. Z Prime is based in Austin, Texas. What do you hope for um, in terms of Texas, North Texas in particular, the region that you focus in? What do you hope North Texas can demonstrate or model any specific areas? Um, for networks around the country, I, I know that you focus a lot and you brought it up, the digital divide, but are there any, maybe one or two specific areas that you're hoping, you know, other, other areas of the country can look to North Texas for some solution or, or problem solving? I would, you know, I would, you know, digital divide is obviously a heavy focus for, for us right now, but I, I think you know, others would be, you know, transportation, but specifically in, in North Texas, it, it's, a, it's still a car culture. And so when you look at how do you balance, you know, road and rail, which a lot of cities are, are facing, and I know Austin's been working through that as well, um, how do you create efficiencies in multimodal? And so I think if we can look through, you know, our, our central council of governments, if we can work with, with TxDOT and, and really say, how do we how do we cross apply funding? How do we look strategically um, in, in implementing some of these things cross border, across jurisdiction? Um, I would I would love to to contribute to a model there. And then I think you know, citizen engagement is a big piece of this too. And so I think the the support and the understanding of of, of at the resident level is is so important in any kind of change. And so if, if we if we can continue to develop ways to to engage and empower and, and pull everyone into the fold, you know, particularly you know those that may not have typically had a voice um, for various reasons. I think that you know those are there's there's a lot of, of places to go um, to go with that question, um, as as well as the really meeting. I keep talking about procurement, but I get calls about procurement every single day. <laughs> so so I think if we can find ways um, to smooth that process, you know, to Miguel's point. Um, speed, speed to market, you know, with a specific solution and then getting the solution through the appropriate channels is, is going to be a, a complete game changer um, everywhere, certainly in the U.S. 
Thank you. Uh, thank you for that uh, insight, Jennifer. Very much looking forward to seeing how this uh, how this progresses. How north texas innovates uh, as a result of this so and th thank you for being on and sharing uh sharing your point of view absolutely appreciate the invitation and miguel yeah. Uh, yeah. thanks for being on and uh discussing uh this network with us yeah no thanks for the the opportunity to talk with with uh with you all and and share the work and um and and high five the partnership uh it's it's uh it's awesome to be um, engaged in Texas. I'm I'm from Texas, so uh, so don't don't let that fool you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Feeling uh, feeling feeling a bit on the outside now. No, um, <laughs> you're an honorary Texan. Oh, I'm, I appreciate I'm, that. I'm an actual I'm an actual Texan also. So yeah, I think uh, it's cool to see all of this. Wonderful. Um, and Aaron, help. thanks for being here to help us break it down. Absolutely, Dylan. I'm, you know, really interested to see what the future of collaboration looks like. We've, you know, published about this in the guest contributor series that I've been curating. We've had conversations on Z Prime Now about the future of collaboration. And, and these networks really are the epitome of collaboration. And from what I can tell, one of the driving principles or what should be one of the driving principles of the future of collaboration is that, and I may have said this on the show before, but homogenous groups of people can't be making decisions for heterogeneous groups of people. You can't have one group making decisions for a variety of, of people because you're not going to be able to meet the needs of all those people. And I think that was reflected in today's conversation, the importance of having different perspectives, different people involved to make sure that you're actually doing the things that the city and your community wants to see is, is really important. So I, I enjoyed today's conversation and kind of look forward to how some of these things develop. Well put. I'm uh, looking forward to that too. But uh, for the rest of you, you can find our research in media at zprime.com. You can find us on social media at D.Y. Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at zprime underscore research, and just zprime everywhere outside of Twitter. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>